0: Hey, I'm having a really anxious day today, but you don't need to tell your partner, I'm having an anxious day today because I'm not sure if I can listen to your voice for the next 20 years.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Dear Shandy. Welcome back to Dear Shandy, listeners. Hello, Andy. Hello. How are you today? I'm
1: doing quite fine.
2: Quite fine. Yeah, send yourself? I'm doing quite fine myself. I'm particularly excited about our hot topic Mm -hmm. guest today. Me too. Me too. Yes. And I think this topic is particularly hot because when we polled our listeners about this topic, Mm -hmm. oh man... Did the, did the It flooded in. We got emails, DMs. It was a very, it was hot. I don't know what else to say about it. It was hot. Very relatable. We'll put it that way. But before we bring in our guest, I'm going to first introduce her and talk about her many accomplishments. Our guest today, Alison Raskin, is an American writer, director, comedian, YouTuber, and mental health advocate. She's the co-host of the Just Between Us podcast, and she can be found on Instagram at Alison Raskin, two L's. And she there on Instagram is also the mastermind behind the delightful mental health account at Emotional Support Lady. Love it. (laughs) Uh, She's the New York Times bestselling author, having co-written I Hate Everyone But You and Please Send Help and her third book, Overthinking About You, Navigating Romantic Relationships When You Have Anxiety, OCD and or Depression. It just came out on Tuesday, May 3rd, and it's very pretty. Just always want to show it. <laughs> Allison Raskin, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: Thank, thank you. you so much. I, you made me feel really good about myself. I'm having a great time.
1: <laughs> it's all Off, downhill from here.
0: <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> Off to a great start. I have to tell you, your book was really educational but also fun. And that's just the best combination in life, I think. Mm -hmm. And before we get into it, I wanted to first pull a quote from your own book. You had interviewed therapist Shiva Rajahi, which, by the way, when I said we were doing this topic, a lot of people were like, is it Shiva? So I thought it was pretty fun (laughs) that you had interviewed her. Uh, And she's quoted quite a bit in your book. I just wanted to quickly touch on her quick definition of OCD and then relationship OCD, just so that anyone listening might... Unless you'd like to define it on your own.
0: <laughs> oh, no, she does it better than
2: me. <laughs> okay, I just haven't let you speak yet. But she basically says OCD is a neurobiological condition with the presence of obsession and compulsions. You have to have obsessions and compulsions to have OCD, relationship OCD or ROCD is a theme that specifically fixates on whether or not you have all the right feelings for your partner or if they have all the right feelings for you. I just wanted to get that out of the way so that we all know what we're talking about when we say ROCD because mm-hmm. it's going to come up a lot today. <laughs> okay, so I was really fascinated reading your book. Uh because I think that when you think ROCD and by the way, I didn't even I wasn't even aware of that term before I read your book. I I figured people had anxiety in relationships. Certainly, we've gotten lots of questions on the podcast, but I hadn't realized that there was a specific subset of OCD dedicated to relationships.
0: I mean, I did it either until a few years ago, and I've had OCD since I was four years old. So it's definitely not talked about very much. Do you
2: think that in many cases it might go undiagnosed or unexplored? I just, when I was reading the book, I was thinking, gosh, I can't help but think that when someone self-sabotages and overthinks something, I, it kind of sounds a little familiar.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think, there's, I think it's a spectrum. I think it's, there's also sometimes it's just called relationship anxiety. And, you know, there's a lot of debate in the mental health community about, you know, how much diagnoses are needed um, mm. and if, if that's really what's important or if it's more just recognizing certain symptoms that are interfering with your life and then, you know, treating those specific symptoms.
2: Okay, so something that really stood out to me in your book, you said ROCD is most often triggered in viable relationships, and is more likely to rear its ugly head when you're with someone you might actually have a future with. And of course, you elaborate in greater detail in the book. But for anyone listening who hasn't picked up your book yet, why do you think this is?
0: because we're only really vulnerable in those relationships, right? So when you're casually dating somebody or you know there's no future, then there's not really risk involved. <laughs> I mean, there is and there isn't, but it's not the it's not quite the same. You're not quite Putting your heart on the line in the same way. Yeah, Yeah, you don't
1: overthink low-stake decisions, right?
0: (laughs) That's true. Although I do,
1: I do overthink. I I I (laughs) I, I overthink. I overthink them less. Less, right? Yeah. Yeah.
2: No, but that's true. I guess it makes sense. It's like the more goodness there, the more there is to uh, to pick it apart. Maybe.
1: Yeah, there's something to lose as opposed to something that you're like, meh.
2: Yeah. No, that's true. Okay. The most asked question we got hands down was when you should disclose this to someone you're dating. And I got the impression, like across all the emails that some people maybe had been dating people for months and hadn't mentioned it. And maybe other people was more like when I embark on dating again, when should I mention it? You do touch on it in the book, but I would love to hear you elaborate on that. When do you think is the right time?
0: Yeah, so I really think that Giving like prescriptive answers of like, and on the third date, it's not really <laughs> helpful, right? Because so much context is at play, and it really matters to pay attention to that context. Mm. So instead of like, timeline in terms of time I think of it more in terms of what stage you're at in the relationship Hmm. so if you're still very surface level you know you're kind of getting to know each other but you don't really know anything that important about their life like you don't even know their family history you don't you maybe know where they work and some funny stories about work but you don't really deeply know this person then I don't think you need to like reveal that you have a diagnosis you've maybe had suicidal ideation your trauma like I you know I don't think you're necessarily at that stage, but but once you start to develop that deeper relationship with someone where like you realize that this is someone that you want to actually really get to know and let in, that's a great opportunity to do it. And that's going to be different for everybody. Um, And so like for me, you know, I always date with a lot of intentionality. And so I'm never, I, at least for years, haven't really been looking for a casual partner. So Mm. it makes sense that I bring up these things earlier on because I'm looking for someone to be more serious with. Mm. Um, But it's also really important to remember that when you do share you don't have to share everything all at once, right? (laughs) So like, I think it's helpful for someone like me, you know, pretty early on into dating someone seriously to be like, hey, I have OCD. I've had it my whole life. Um, Letting people know that like you have, it under control is very different than I'm actively having an issue right now, (laughs) you know, like the way in which you share the information also matters a lot. So being in control of the disclosure, I think is really important. Mm. Um, When I was younger, it was very much, here's my entire history. Let me just, Play it out for you so that you can either say yes or no to me as a person in this moment. Whereas now I recognize that that was sort of like compulsive sharing, right? Like I was, I was sharing because I needed to know right away if they were going to reject me or not. Uh, and that's instead- actually, lo-
2: it's kind of logical, but well, yeah, I don't it's, see it being it is, productive. But you probably
1: get a lot of rejection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, I can see it being potentially overwhelming when yeah. really you have more of a handle on it than your delivery might suggest you do.
0: Yeah. yeah, and the delivery matters so much because as people, we pick up so much on body language and energy. So... Being in a calm environment, making sure that you're doing it during a time when you have the space to maybe discuss it more, you know, not just like an offhand comment of, you know, I attempted suicide when I was 16. Anyway, what what movie do you want to see? You (laughs) know, (laughs) like
2: not not the best delivery, yeah.
0: (laughs) Like having some thought put into when you're gonna do it, that there's time to discuss it, that the atmosphere around you is calm and and not igniting your anxiety in any way. So I'd recommend probably not doing it in public if you're Someone who's afraid of people overhearing your, you know, you disclosing this stuff. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's really it's it's case by case. And it's also, you know, what do you want out of this relationship? Because if you do want it to progress, then I think it is important to really share that part of yourself.
2: Yeah, I can see it being such a daunting conversation. I love how you say it can be broken up because it can sort of feel like, how much time do you have? Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, let's get comfortable here. Make sure you're you're seated. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, those case by case answers, I feel like people often want, like you said, more of a prescriptive answer. It's like, well, on date five right (laughs) (laughs) yeah but unfortunately it doesn't really work that way case by case yeah case by case uh you talk in the book about the difference between process and content because you know i can see how especially if you are further along in the relationship and you do choose to share this and maybe you are going through these ups and downs can you explain the difference between process and content what what you choose to share with your partner
0: yeah so you know with something like anxiety or OCD or even depression, you're going to be thinking some thoughts that are not necessary for your partner to know, (laughs) right? Like you might be thinking some stuff that is, you're ruminating, you're obsessing about things, you're worrying about stuff. And it's more just your disorder acting out versus like actual stuff that your partner needs to know. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. But I think it is really important to be able to say to your partner, Hey, I'm having a really anxious day today. But you don't need to tell your partner, I'm having an anxious day today because I'm not sure if I can listen to your voice for the next 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So like yes. getting into the details can can be unnecessarily harmful sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Although
1: that is a that is a very strong neg. It might have yeah. some positive reaction.
2: The ultimate neg. Yeah.
1: That's, a, that's the best I've ever heard.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that applies to so many mm-hmm. thoughts, actually. yeah. Not only if you have OCD or whatever, like I feel like there are just thoughts that one has while in a relationship mm-hmm. that maybe are best kept to ourselves.
1: Oh, yeah, I agree. I've, that's one of the great lessons I learned in relationships. And really? I still learn is that you don't have to say everything. Say a lot and say the important things, but don't say everything, especially if you're you know, super neurotic. I, I'm I know neurotic is not one of the words we're discussing, but yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's an umbrella term. If you overthink life, maybe yeah. don't don't say everything. Mm. That's just a policy that I like to Live abide by. by.
0: And I had to learn how to do that because for me, I used to feel like if I wasn't disclosing, I was lying or I mm-hmm. was withholding ah. and I was right. being sneaky and bad. But I've had to learn that like it's okay to have privacy it's okay to keep things to myself and that's honestly often better for myself and my relationships yeah
1: Mm. and it's not it's I always think of it as like soft lying like in life we're all liars like you've how many times have you told someone that they look wonderful when they don't look wonderful (laughs) or how many times have you said you feel great when you feel like shit you're a liar you you're a liar
2: I mean, we're all soft lying.
1: We have to lie.
2: You said in the book about this, we only need to share the content of our thoughts if something good can come of it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So something that's like not helpful where it's like I, you know, like I I find their movie taste to be despicable to me or something, you know, something that's just like judgy, but not an actual thing that your partner needs to work on. Yes. <laughs> like that's, what are you going to do? You're not going to change their movie taste, right. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. but like, if it's something like, Hey, when I share an important part of myself with you, you don't listen. That is something to share with your partner or we're not spending enough quality time together. Important to share. Like I hate your brother. I don't know. That's probably sometimes you <laughs> just don't like other people's family members and you don't need to get yeah. into the nitty gritty of that. I guess,
1: I guess it also depends how terrible the brother is.
0: Right. And like, is yeah. it just I find your... So maybe I should change that to I find your brother annoying, right? Right. Like, yeah. nothing wrong with the brother. You just personally find him annoying. Maybe you can keep that to yourself.
1: Yeah. Charlene. Yes? I was just hypnotized by your glowing skin.
2: <laughs> Thank you, husband. Glowing. My goodness.
1: No, this is a compliment from a stranger, (laughs) unbiased.
2: You could tell what I was going to say. Well, it won't be the first time I bring up apostrophe, but we're going to go there again. Apostrophe is prescription skincare delivered directly to your door, and that is both oral and topical. And maybe you've been intimidated about going to the dermatologist. That seems intimidating, or just
1: inconvenienced by it.
2: Yeah, but I mean, it's also intimidating. Yeah.
1: I want this. I've had this before. I don't want to go to the dermatologist. Or
2: maybe you have never been because it's kind of daunting to find a dermatologist and it's cost prohibitive. There you go. And so maybe you don't even know what you need for your concerns.
1: Apostrophe to the rescue.
2: Yes. So with apostrophe, you fill out an online quiz and you basically list your skincare concerns and you upload photos of your skin. You go take a bunch of little selfies showing the spots that you're concerned about and mm-hmm. that could be acne or aging or what have you and then a board certified dermatologist will review your photos and information and prescribe you something if, if they think you need something it makes it so easy
1: yeah
2: they they always say there's an app for that there's an app for that this is the ultimate there's an app for that you no longer need to physically leave your house and go to the dermatologist
1: yeah skincare is what apps were made for <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
2: And also, it's not just about your face. Maybe you have acne somewhere else.
1: Maybe you have chest knee Mm. or back knee Mm. or the dreaded butt knee. The butt knee. Or the knee knee, (laughs) which I've gotten. I actually get more (laughs) knee knee than face knee.
2: Yeah, I'm fascinated by your knee knee.
1: Yeah, I get always a big knee knee on my knee.
2: (laughs) So we have a special offer for our listeners, the Shandys. Save $15 off your first visit when you go to apostrophe.com slash Shandy and enter code Shandy. This offer is only available to our listeners.
1: To get started, go to apostrophe.com slash Shandy and click begin visit.
2: Then use our code Shandy at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Ridiculous. Ridiculous.
1: That's A-P-O-S-T-R-O-P-H-E dot com slash Shandy. And
2: use that code Shandy to get your dermatologist crafted treatment plan for only $5. And we thank Apostrophe for sponsoring the podcast. So you touched on briefly just now, you know, an anxious day, things you're having anxieties about. And then that are just you. You're having these thoughts. You don't need to share them. Where's the line between that being just something that doesn't need to be shared? It's something you're going through and you're navigating versus your gut. You, you know, your gut's telling you something, you should be listening.
0: So that's what's really tricky, right? It's like, what is a valid concern in your relationship? And what is maybe more of like uh, your disorders talking to you, right? Mm-hmm. Um and so because I sort of think of it like I have like my OCD voice that's like telling me to do all these things and give in to all of these compulsions. And then I, I it really helps me to externalize my OCD and my anxiety and to see them as separate from me and therefore mm. not defining who I am as a person and my true personality. Yeah. But sometimes it can get really muddled, right? Where you're like, oh, is this a valid concern that I need to bring up and harp on? Or is it just like my relationship anxiety kind of like rearing its ugly head? yeah. And I think that, again, it's going back to, is this something that my partner can actually work on and change, which I lean towards valid concern, or is it more a worry that is like the relationship isn't quote unquote right based on what I think a relationship should be?
2: Yeah. Does that make sense? (laughs) Yes.
0: Oh, I've seen in the movies that I should be attracted to my partner 100% of the time. But right now, I don't feel like having sex with my partner. So I must not love them enough. <laughs> like, uh, that was one of my favorite things you touched on, actually. <laughs> I have two,
2: like it's a fork in the road and I have two questions based on that answer. Because I find this really fascinating. And especially when it comes to the attraction thing, because attraction is sort of... It's hard to define attraction and, you know, you, some people could be being unnecessarily picky, but you could also argue that you need to be attracted to your partner or else you're settling. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a fine line and it's hard to tell someone else to care less about being attracted to a person.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or I think it's more expecting that that attraction level will remain the same at all hours of the day and night and through all experiences. Yes. Yes.
2: True. Okay. So basically ROCD could be divided into where it's focused on your relationship or focused on your partner. Mm. And I thought this was really interesting because I would have assumed going into reading your book, not having read it yet, that ROCD would look a lot like, do they love me? And is this relationship good? Is this healthy? Is this good? Is this what I want? Is it, is it the right relationship based on, you know, what the world has told me? But I learned that partner-focused ROCD is actually just as, if not more common. And so that's more like, are they good enough? And do I love them? Mm -hmm. And this was really interesting because we get a lot of questions along the lines of attraction. There's a recent question, actually, we got where the question writer really likes the person they're dating. And in many cases, the sex is really great. But then in general, day to day, they don't find themselves attracted to that person. And then they're kind of like, am I being too picky? But am I settling? Where do you think that line lives? Does it just come down to how often you're feeling it? Like, do you feel that 80% of the time you should find your partner attractive? Because you you talked about the ebbing and flowing of that.
0: Yeah, I really think it's about what your priorities are. So there are going to be some people where their main priority is passion and attraction. And so that is the, the main thing that they look for in their relationship. Mm-hmm. And so if you're a person like that, then having these constant doubts about if you're attracted to the person is kind of a problem, right? Because it's <laughs> your main priority and it's not being met. Yeah. But the thing that we never talk about is that for some people, that's not their priority. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> you know, like maybe the priority is to feel safe. And their priority is to feel like they have a really stable partner who is a great caregiver, who's a great potential parent with them, who they can build a wonderful life with. And for them, because of for whatever reason, the, the physical attraction part just isn't their number one thing. Mm. So if you do, you know, the self-work and the self-discovery to figure out which one you are, you know, or do you fall somewhere in the middle, then you can sort of answer that question a little more easy. Because if you realize, oh, attraction isn't my top priority, maybe it's my sixth priority, and this person is meeting one, two, three, four, and five, then it's sort of like, all right, you can't get everything, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
2: that's how I'm inclined to feel about that.
0: Yeah. But then if you realize and you really sit with yourself and you say for me to feel fulfilled in a relationship, I need to be incredibly attracted to my partner. That's an important thing for you to know about yourself.
2: Yeah. I love how in the book you talked about deal breakers. Because yeah. We, we often talk about needs and wants on this podcast, and you you had it divided even further. You were like, deal breakers, what I would like to see, what I wouldn't love, but it's not a deal breaker, and then deal breakers. Like it was just <laughs> it was great. And I actually think everyone should do that. Because I think a lot of people sort of lose sight of what they're even looking for. It's like they're kind of hoping for this magic moment when a checklist isn't really a, a bad thing to have when dating. To get back to my other question, this is like question B after what you touched on. <laughs> You talked about the media's influence and what we regard to be the right relationship. You wrote, the media often makes us think that passion needs to be constantly present and that you should be 100% sure you found your soulmate. And I cannot tell you how many questions we get about this. It's like, we've been dating for X number of years. He's great. He's all these things. But I'm not sure. And because I'm not sure, it must be wrong. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we, we all know that this is something that we're being sold From our youth, you know, our whole lives, it's like you're when you know, you know, it's going to be this magic moment, it'll be 100% clear. Is there anything we can do or a mindset we can adopt to help counter a lifetime of that kind of messaging?
0: Yeah, it's a lot of reworking and reframing. But I, I think for me, instead of like, I'm, I know with 100% certainty that this is my person, because I don't think, you know, that's possible. I think it's, I know with, a, with certainty that I want to try with this person, right? Huh. Yeah, that like, I'm willing to make the commitment to try to make this work. And then also giving yourself the grace to know that it might not, and that's okay, too but the intentionality is there to at least try.
2: Mm, I like that. It also just feels less all or nothing.
0: Totally. (laughs) And (laughs) and anxious minds like love certainty, right? We like love to know for sure exactly what's happening because then we can best prepare ourselves and then we can, you know, not get hurt and we can do everything right. But I have to say, you know, like I, when I got engaged to my ex-fiance, I remember thinking, Oh, this is such a smart decision. I feel, I feel no doubt about this. I feel like I couldn't have picked a better partner for me. Wow, way to go, Allison, and making a really smart call. And then six months later, he walked out on me with no explanation. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I realized that, like, oh, that certainty I felt, that didn't protect me. That didn't actually mean anything. Yeah. Um, and instead approaching it more with like, here's hoping. You know, it, it sort of gives yourself some more freedom and some more grace to adapt with life as it, you know, will inevitably throw you curveballs.
2: That's such a great takeaway. Uh, our last Hot Topic guest was a divorce attorney of like two decades. Like she'd seen everything. And she said, one of the scariest things about marriage in general is that, you know, two people are signing up for this, you know, they're in love, they both sign that document, but it only takes one of you to quit to Mm -hmm. not want this anymore. And it's there is just so much out of your hands. And it's that's not an easy thing to wrap your mind around, especially if, like you said, what you really want is black and white.
1: Right. Doesn't the OCD person live in like absolutes? Like they need to have everything very clear.
0: Well, yeah, but your OCD will tell you that. Your OCD will tell you that you need things to be black and white. And then the work is realizing that you actually don't. Ah. that like you can actually tolerate the discomfort of being in the unknown right. and mm-hmm. the discomfort of uncertainty even though your ocd is saying no you can't you can't handle that that's not possible you're unsafe you're unsafe you mm-hmm. can say actually thank you so much for being worried about me ocd i really appreciate it that you're looking out but <laughs> let me tell you i got this that's I've, a hard transition that, that is a hard transition <laughs> yeah, yeah no. that
1: sounds nice that's yeah. that's tough that, that travel. it
0: doesn't work all the time and it's not going to work every day and you know That's why that's why you're gonna have these flare-ups. That's why, like, your mental health does impact your romantic relationships. But the more that you're understanding how it's impacting your romantic relationships, the more you can sort of fight back for that control because you can see what it's doing. Mm
2: -hmm. Okay, so that brings us now to the actual relationship. Let's say you're in the relationship, you have carefully timed and when to bring it up. You've had the multiple conversations. Your partner is well aware of what you struggle with. And it's it's not as easy as you'd like. I mean, it, I think that what I loved in the book is that you really focused on how the, it's really up to you to self-soothe. It's the, up to the person with the anxiety to know how to handle their anxiety. What do you do when your partner do, doesn't really know how to help you? I mean, I, I feel like this, there's so many subsections to this question because they, they could be not understanding at all and not willing to understand you. But let's say they want to try and understand you, but they are getting frustrated with their inability to understand you. And it's now becoming sort of a source of friction in your relationship.
0: So I think something that harms a lot of us is this assumption that if we're with the quote unquote right person, they will instinctively know how to care for us. Mm. But that's just unrealistic, right? Like, why would two people with completely different backgrounds, completely different coping mechanisms, different communication styles, instinctively know how to help another person who's very different from them, right? It's such a good mm. point. <laughs>
2: yeah, great And point.
0: so we see that as like, oh, a sign that they're not right or not good. But like, the real thing is, if you then have these conversations where you say, hey, this is how I would love for you to support me. And then if they can do that, That's what matters, right? It's if you can share with them how to help you and they actually receive that feedback and then are able to do it, that's a great partner. They don't need to know it from the get-go because why would they? Mm. But they need to be able to listen to you when you do share how to help you.
1: Right, They're not your parent. Mm. They're your partner. That's the difference, I guess.
0: And a critical part of
2: what you just shared is communicating to your partner how they can support you, which means that you have to have done some work in knowing what would work to support you.
0: Exactly. And that's the tricky part. And that's the part that we never talk about. It's always this person will save you. This person will know. But like they won't. <laughs> like yeah. you've got to do that work first so that you can articulate like, hey, when I'm feeling anxious, it really helps me if you can just make dinner. Because when I have to think about making dinner on top of my already anxious spiral, I, I, it's overwhelming. But if I know that that one thing is off my plate, <laughs> then I can I can handle the day a lot better.
1: That's actually great to receive as someone who has OCD, you know, just like these are the lines. This is what you need to do. Yeah. And if you do this, good things will happen. <laughs> <laughs> as someone with OCD, that sounds great. <laughs> tell me what I need to do. Tell me.
2: No, actually, what but, but she just touched on with the cooking of dinner sounds a little yeah, familiar. That hit a nerve. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so let's say, I'm giving you a lot of hypotheticals here, but truly these were all questions we got, and actually there were a lot of common themes. So sometimes I have like a million questions, and other times I have like 10 big questions, and with you I just basically have 10 big questions because the themes were recurring. Let's say a couple has been together for a while, let's say longer than a few months, and it's at that point where maybe you're going to make things official, maybe get a little more serious, talk, you know, talk, making being exclusive or I don't know, what have you. some Whatever takes it to the next step. But the partner, so that the person who is, we'll say, neurotypical in this situation is like, I'm hesitant because of your anxiety. Mm hmm and that that makes me nervous about going to the next level with you. Do you think that that's a healthy fork in the road to be faced with when you are an anxious person?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So when i was younger, my reaction to something like that would have been fuck you. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah, like my reaction would have been how dare you? Um, And I had that reaction during a relationship that I had when my, my boyfriend at the time brought up that my anxiety was, was uh, causing problems and I became irate. I couldn't believe it. Like, how dare he throw this thing in my face that I have spent so many years working on that is already better than it was. Like, how dare you? Mm -hmm. Now my perspective on it is completely different where I actually think that if somebody has the courage to share that with you, I mean, that's, that's a really probably, unless they did it in a malicious way, that's a probably pretty scary thing for them to disclose, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know, it it can bring up issues, it can seem mean, it, you know, it, it's really cuts to someone's core. Mm. But I think that you have to then get curious about what their fears are. Is it, the way that I actively behave day-to-day with you is a problem and my anxiety in our current life is a problem? Or is it more that you just have a fear of what my anxiety will be in the future, right? And you don't really understand anxiety and so you have a lot of questions and, you know, uncertainty around it. Hmm. And so if, the, if it's option one where they're like, it's day-to-day, like how you are currently is, is not working for me. Then I think you get to say, oh, this is sucks to hear, obviously. Yeah. But you get to say, huh, is this right? Like if I look at myself and I look at my day-to-day life, is my anxiety really getting in the way? Like, is it causing problems, not just in my relationship, but in other areas of my life? And if so, then that might really be a wake-up call that like there is some extra work to do. There is, you know, maybe you need to get back in therapy. Maybe you need to explore medication. If those things aren't available to you, then maybe um, buying some books about mindfulness, uh, maybe increasing your exercise routine because exercise basically does a lot of the same things biologically as these medications do, you know, tackling it a bit more aggressively and then Mm -hmm. seeing if you can get it under control. And then if so, move forward. But if it's more that just the concept of you having anxiety or the concept of you having OCD or depression is scary to the partner, then I think it's like, that's a little trickier, right? Then I think it's really like, okay, well, what about it scares you? What information do you need from me about it? Would you maybe wanna come to therapy with me? You know, so like, I think it's actually really cool to bring a partner in to therapy with you and and sometimes let them talk to your therapist alone. Like let them have an outlet to sort of ask the questions that maybe they're too um, afraid to ask in front of you. Because the thing is, is these are, these can be, these can be big parts of our life. So for somebody to have some fears and concerns around that, isn't irrational? It's not cruel. It makes sense. It's just how they navigate those fears. Um, but if somebody feels like they are really judging you for those issues, that's very different to me than having valid concerns of how it's going to impact your future together.
2: I love your answer mm-hmm. to that. Yeah, that it's so much more nuanced than it could be. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like sort of like you said, your younger self, I think there's a sort of knee jerk reaction to be like, oh, you're criticizing The fact that I have anxiety, like, how dare you? Like, I'm the one with the anxiety. How dare you? Mm -hmm. You're the enemy. But it's a great point. Like, if you have spent some time together, it's possible that, they're able to objectively witness things that you maybe you're too close to to really realize that you do still have work to do on it, basically.
1: What's interesting, I I guess, I sometimes think, and this is probably a terrible thing to say, but (laughs) if you meet someone that you really, you're like, this is the person, and you've spent enough time with them that they know your idiosyncrasies and your quirks or your OCDs a little bit, but not like maybe the whole run of it. Is it maybe... One of those experiences where you're like, you know, this is worth me just fixing this and I'm not going to reveal it. I'm not going to just lay it on the table like, listen, I have this problem. I'm just going to make this go away as best as I can to preserve this thing, which might be the best thing that I've ever had in front of me. Or is that a terrible way to look You're at
2: it? You're making it sound like it's something that someone no, can just I'm just fix. Say,
1: No, I know you can't just fix it, but yeah. I'm saying is can you make it your life's work and you be like, "You know what? I'm going to spend every day working on this so I don't have to have the conversations that might scare this person away." Or is no, that a terrible way to look at it? I would love to hear
2: it? her take on that. <laughs>
1: I know this, I'm playing devil's advocate. I don't necessarily, this is not necessarily the view of Dear Shandy. This is just a devil's advocate question.
2: Yeah, Yeah. because I can see some people
0: who don't know anything about it thinking of it that way. Like, just get it under control.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: I think that you can absolutely decide, I really need to tackle this. But the purpose of a partner is to support you, right? Right. So Mm -hmm. when you take on something like that, where you're really going to tackle something, like, for example, tackling your contamination OCD... Wouldn't you want your partner to be there rooting for you as you do it, to mm-hmm. be there supporting you as you take on this big, you know, endeavor versus Absolutely. feeling like, like you have how to hide I, it from them? Like how I carry around spray so you can spray the bike before you get on it. <laughs> I mean, that's a wonderful thing. And like I'm in um, exposure therapy right now for my OCD and, and one of after having not been in exposure therapy since I was a kid. And one of the main reasons that I'm doing it is because I don't want my OCD to affect my romantic relationship in a huge way.
1: Mm. But I
0: share that with my partner. I share that with him so that he knows that I'm putting in the work, that I prioritize him, that I care about him. He knows when I've had a tough session. He knows my progress. Like he's my cheerleader for it. Like I think that it can be really meaningful to say to your partner, hey, I recognize I have this issue. I recognize the potential it has to get to cause conflict. And I care about you so much and I care about myself so much that I'm really going to work hard to address this. Right.
2: Mm. Speaking of which, because, and you touch on this in the book too, about how some of these things, it might seem kind of cute early on, you know, the, the the little ways in which you are anxious or obsessive, but then, you know, long term, they might become more irritating. Can you think of tips on how to... Prevent that from happening. And it could be as simple as, I don't know, maybe saying it's not you, it's me. But how do you really drive that home? Because I feel like after a while, the partner could start to take things personally.
0: Yeah. So I think that I think one of the main reasons that you really want to share this stuff with your partner is so they don't take things personally. Yeah. Right. So like being able to say like, hey, I'm feeling depressed and that's why I don't want to go out with you and your friends. Not because I don't love you, not because I don't like your friends, but because when I'm in a depressive episode, it's really hard for me to go engage socially. Yeah. Mm. And like if you don't explain that, then they might just (laughs) go, well, she doesn't even like me anymore. She hates my friends because you're not giving the full context of what's going on. Yeah, very true. Yeah, and that's just such not a helpful response. I
2: I don't. I don't know. I just had a bit of a reaction to to that to that response. Like, oh, she doesn't like my friends, but I, yeah, yeah, and it also
1: (laughs) brings just you know to the rebuttal for my. Previous question. Yeah. You have to tell them because otherwise you're going to run into that problem while well, totally. you trying your best.
2: Yeah. You touched on the book too. You said no amount of external validation is going to be enough to scratch that reassurance itch. That's why it's so important to figure out how to self soothe. So we just used social anxiety as an example. But I thought this was interesting how a lot, I think a lot of people, especially people with anxiety, might. Use the relationship as a kind of crutch for reassurance and validation. And you definitely hold the reader accountable. You're like, no, no, no.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I love reassurance. Who doesn't love reassurance? Yeah, it right? feels
2: so good. So sweet. feels so great.
0: Sweet. But it ultimately doesn't solve the problem because it you just get into a cycle of needing it constantly, and then that can cause some problems because then your partner feels like you're not listening to them, right? Mm-hmm. Because if I have to say, "Do you love me?" to my boyfriend ten times a day, he's gonna think that I didn't hear him the first nine times. Yeah <laughs> like yeah, and, and so instead, I have to work on, you know there's a couple different ways. there's the the way of like, like a big thing for me is learning to trust what somebody is telling me right Mm. and I think that a lot of us have this huge fear that we're going to get duped and that we're going to be made a fool of right and so so my fear (laughs) right (laughs) and when it happens just even on a
2: small level day-to-day like not in a relationship I get so upset like it's more upsetting to me than almost anything being duped it sucks
0: But like, why? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, I've had to sort of do this thing of like, if I love somebody and they tell me they love me back and then they were lying, that's not my fault. (laughs) You were just lied to. You're right. Right. Like I'm, I'm working with the information that I have. And so instead of constantly trying to like get to the bottom of it and solve it and make sure you have all the information. (laughs) It is so much easier to just go, I'm going to accept what somebody is telling me. Mm. And if they're lying or they're withholding, that's on them. That's not on me. And then trusting that if that day comes or that's revealed, that you will be able to handle it. Mm. So much of this work is just trusting that your future self will be able to handle what happens.
2: That's it's very beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's a, it really comes back to loving oneself. <laughs> so uh, on that note, because you made a point with the book of being like, this isn't going to turn into some you don't need, you don't need outside love. You just need yourself. Just love yourself. Like you made a point of not coming to that conclusion at the end of the book. But you also said that one should try to at least begin to tackle this on their own before embarking on a relationship, correct?
0: Yeah, because I think think the important thing is is that you're allowed to want these things. And in fact, it's a wonderful thing to want. But sometimes we just have to get ourselves in the right place in order to be able to have a healthy relationship. So my message isn't, you don't need a relationship, you just need to love yourself. It's Mm -hmm. more, you need to get in a good place with yourself so that you can then get the thing that you want, which is a healthy relationship.
2: Got it. So let's say you meet someone great. It's all fantastic. But you haven't gotten yourself to that place. Do you put on the brakes? Or what do you what do? You do?
1: <laughs> Good luck. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I think it's really about... I don't think you need to be 100% there to start a relationship. I think very few of us are 100% there. I'd recommend getting 90% there, you know, but let's say you're not. Let's say you're 50% there when you meet this person. It's really about, is this person someone that is going to let you continue that work? Or is this someone who is going to exacerbate your problems? And I think those are two very different people and two very different types of relationships.
2: Yes. Yes, mm-hmm. big time. And while we're hovering on these sort of early stages, a lot of our listeners our Shandys, expressed that their anxiety precludes them from even wanting to go on dates. So a couple of them even said that they'll get sick, like the, mm-hmm. the wow. anxiety of, you know, the possibility of rejection or just putting themselves out there. Do you have any advice on dipping one's toe into the world of dating without feeling totally overwhelmed?
0: Oh, I have a lot of advice about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think there's a couple different things. And one thing I think is to date productively. Because if you're just dating willy-nilly, not putting much thought into who you're making dates with, uh, swiping yes on pretty much everybody or people just based on their looks, like you're, the, the chances that you're going to have negative experiences go up. And the more negative experience you, you have and also just the more quantity of dates that you have, the more likely you are to burn out and for it to feel really overwhelming. Mm. But if you date really productively where you only bother to swipe on people, let's say we're online dating – We're only bothering to swipe on people where you can see that there actually is some compatibility there. And then when you move on to messaging, you take a phone call before you actually go on a date so that you're not wasting an entire evening on somebody who either makes you feel bad or who bails on you. But you're doing some screening early on so that you're not even wasting that full date energy until there's already been a certain level of approval, right, where you you Know a bit enough, you know, enough about this person to know that they're even worth meeting in person, yeah. which yeah. is gonna lower the amount of dates that you have, but will also make it easier to not burn out.
1: A lot of people like date, like it's a very optimistic dice rolling.
0: You yeah, know? they're just you, like, oh, you I'm have gonna
1: roll a double, I'm gonna roll a 12. I know I'm gonna roll a 12, but yeah. why not just you know put the dice down with both sixes? But you to, have the opportunity, no,
2: it's true. But to play devil's advocate, do you think there is not? and I don't actually believe what I'm saying because I agree with you, but just to play devil's advocate, <laughs> yeah. do you not think that there's value in like sort of to regard it like exposure therapy, like just putting yourself out there routinely and going on these dates just to kind of ease yourself back into it, like force yourself?
0: Yes, and and so I think if you actually do have a high fear of just dating in general, then quantity can be really good for you. Mm-hmm. and And there the work is reframing what it means to go on a date. It is taking away the importance of it. It's taking yeah. away the high stakes of it. It's looking at it as like two people going to get a cup of coffee yeah. and and saying, like, I, I think I think so much of this anxiety is fueled by this fear of rejection and this belief that we cannot handle that rejection. But yeah. let me tell you, you can. I've been rejected. So many times in my life, like I can't tell you how many times I've been dumped or said no to. But you to. know
1: what's, you know what helped me some when I had some rejection early on is like, I think about like the, the great musicians that I'm a huge fan of, right? Like, you know, you got like your Dylans and your, St- now I'm going to date myself, but whatever, deal with it. <laughs> you know, the Stones, the Beatles, Led Zeppelin, Bob Dylan, you know, Bert, Bruce Springsteen, they've all been dumped, Oh, all definitely. these people have been dumped. All the male, female, all the superstars have been dumped. If they've been dumped, what's wrong with you getting dumped? You're, you're too good to be dumped?
0: <laughs> and I think you're- we view it as like, oh, this person doesn't want to be with me. That means I'm worthless. That means I'm a piece of shit. But why not just look at it as, oh, I am not the type of person that this person wants to have a lifelong partnership with. And why would I be that type of person for everyone? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, you're not compatible with everyone. And mm-hmm. so a lot of dating is just finding people you happen to be compatible with versus it being a direct reflection of your value as a human being. Yes,
1: yeah. agree. Yeah. Everybody gets dumb. And some people write great songs about it.
2: <laughs> In your final chapter, you touched on that, on just how um, your broken engagement, how maybe that was just, you you weren't necessarily this, the starring character of that saga maybe you were you know a supporting character in his and Mm -hmm. it was just such a beautiful way to look at that like through a different lens in a way that didn't necessarily vilify him but makes you realize that it's not actually all about you necessarily and you're not a failure because they didn't want you it was really beautiful Mm -hmm. i really liked that
1: so charlene yes you know what i've been noticing
2: oh uh, where
1: in my credit card statements
2: Oh, uh, the cost of ordering in. You got it. Yeah, because it's the same cost as eating out. I think I forget that. I
1: I spend more on that than almost anything. It's ridiculous.
2: And that's why we love Factor. Yep. Factor, I think, should be a household name at this point. You get fresh meals, never frozen, but complete meals delivered to your door. So you can just heat them up, throw them in the oven, and they're ready to go you save so much
1: money and you get a hundred percent of the function of ordering out in the first place yes ordering out ordering in yeah <laughs> oh in i in new york we call it ordering out no we it don't. makes no sense it's ordering in what do you mean, we You're from canada
2: <laughs> <laughs> anyway with factor you get it delivered into your house where it's kept it, in your fridge
1: it should be ordering in <laughs>
2: and the meals are delicious. They're healthy. Mm-hmm. What I also love about factor is a lot of like meal kitty things that come to your house are, are really um, limited in terms of dietary preferences. Mm-hmm. We only order vegetarian or vegan meals from Factor, and they're delicious, but it's so much harder to prepare that for yourself or to order that from a restaurant. Oh, yeah. Plus, if you're keto or low-calorie or you just want juices, energy bites, they just have it all.
1: So head to go.factor75.com slash Shandy120 and use code Shandy120 for $120 <laughs> off.
2: That's a lot of money off. So again, that's Shandy120, 120, 120 at go.factor75, 75com slash Shandy120 to get $120 off. So I have like two more and then we're going to let you go. This one did come up a lot and I think it kind of bleeds into what... I think becomes a lot of relationship issues, especially if we're talking a heterosexual relationship where the guy is the one struggling. And, and I think it is a very, you know, I I think lots of women dating a man who needs help or should maybe be seeking out help, but refuses to sort of admit it. And you did talk to a therapist who specializes in this. Let's say you are making suggestions maybe exercise more, maybe you should go to therapy. And let's say he's like, yeah, 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 but never actually does any of that. And you sort of end up falling into this mothering slash therapist slash like housekeeper role, which uh, Zach Seidler, the therapist you interviewed about this, said that that's a very dangerous place to be. Do you have any advice for regaining a healthy balance when you've reached that point, especially when the partner in question And I think it could be any gender, but the partner in question, and I'm just using men because I think it's more common, don't seem willing to help themselves.
0: Ultimately, if your partner is struggling, they need to want to help themselves. Or else, like you said, it's going to be an unhealthy dynamic and it's not going to be fair to you. Yeah. And so I think it's completely valid to say to your partner, hey. We've been talking about this, but I haven't seen you take any actionable steps. And unfortunately, after like searching within myself and what I want, I can't stay in a relationship that's like this. Mm. That doesn't mean that I'm walking out the door today. But if things don't change in somewhat of a timely fashion, if I don't see that you at least have a willingness to start to tackle these things, which I would love to help and support you tackle. Like don't feel like you need to do it on your own. I'm here as a support system. But if you're not even willing to take those steps, I cannot see myself staying in this relationship. Hmm. But if you say that you have to mean it. You can't say that every three months and stay in the relationship. Like you need to say that and then give some sort of timeline and then stick by it. And it sucks, but Ultimately, that's that's what's best for you, because you don't want to be in that role forever.
2: Yeah. You said in the book, ultimatum almost sounds like a strategic ploy. I don't think of it as strategic. I think of it as an honest communication. You might say, I don't see myself staying in this if you don't get help. But you don't say, if you don't get help, I'm going to leave. It's so interesting how the delivery can make such Mm -hmm. a difference.
0: You know. Yeah, because it's about it's almost giving yourself an ultimatum instead. It's yeah. saying, I can't stay in this if it stays like this versus if you don't change, I'm leaving. Wow.
1: Right.
2: Isn't
0: that incredible? The, the,
2: just the use of language and how different it can sound. It's
1: the difference between a soft landing and a crash.
2: <laughs> that was a soft landing sound.
0: <laughs> it also gives you back the control, right? Because you're deciding. You're yeah. deciding that you're going to stay or leave versus like they better change or not. Or, you know, it's all about their actions. It's you making this decision to honor yourself.
2: Yeah. Let's say both partners in the partnership have their struggles mm-hmm. and they're both just barely holding on in their, in their own right individually. And they know that supporting each other would help, but it's it's like, how do you find the space to do that? Do you have any advice? I know that's such, I just, I threw that in there. Like it's such a light (laughs) question, but do you have any advice if both partners are going through a lot and how they can support each other while barely being able to hold on themselves?
0: It's really hard. And you know, I think it depends on what stage you are in the relationship. If you're two months in, it might be, make a lot of sense to sort of take a break and, and go your separate ways for a bit and then see what happens. But if yeah. you're, you know, 10 years into a marriage, there's a different level of commitment there and of, of joined lives where it makes more sense to to put in that fight. But I think that the thing to remember is even when you're struggling... I mean, there's difference. There's different levels of struggling. You know, there are times where someone really needs to be hospitalized or needs to be in an inpatient clinic. And there there's not really going to be that energy to be there for someone else because the priority has to be caring for themselves and staying alive. But if it is a a lower level of struggle, Mm -hmm. you know, it is it is having that 90 percent energy putting it into yourself, but also remembering to check in with your partner here and there to like, remember that they're also there and to, you know, it doesn't need to be 10 times a day, but every now, you know, every fairly regularly being like, and how are you doing with this? How are you, how are you holding up? Um, and just even like letting them know that your brain has the capacity to think about them despite the struggle, I think is really helpful.
2: Yeah. A little can go a long way. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You dedicate an entire chapter in your book to medication, and you're very candid. You, as you mentioned earlier, that you got sick with OCD and were uh, at age four, and you were prescribed Prozac for it. First of all, personally, I just want to let you know that this chapter, I mean, I enjoyed the whole book, but this chapter was extremely educational for me, and thank I just want to thank you for that. Um, there was a really powerful quote of uh, a psychiatrist you interviewed, Jennifer Yashari, I just want to put it in here because I have a question after. She said, you don't have to get to a point where you're so impaired you need medication. It's okay to not want to be white-knuckling through life. You get one life and one internal emotional quality of life, and you get to decide how hard you want to work at maintaining a healthy mental baseline. So for anyone listening who's struggling but is afraid of the idea of medication, are there any thoughts you'd like to share with them or myths that you would like to debunk?
0: Yeah. I mean, when she said that my mind was blown and that was someone who's been on and off of meds her whole life. Like Mm -hmm. just this idea that like, why do we have to white knuckle our way through things? Like, I think, I think in America, especially there's this like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps mentality. The harder you work, the better person you are. But like It's bullshit. Like, why can't you just sort of like help yourself out and have a nicer life? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, you don't need to be struggling endlessly to prove nothing to no one. Yeah. It doesn't do anything. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then I also think there's a lot of misconceptions about medication and that like once you go on, that means you're on it for life. That's not true. A lot of times people just need to go on medication to have a window of opportunity for them to be able to do the work in therapy that they haven't been able to do because they're not at a certain baseline to implement what they're learning, right? So if you are so depressed, you might just need to go on medication for six months, a year, just so that you can incorporate what you're learning in therapy because if you're at a certain place, you might not be able to do that without the help of the medication. And then you can go off it. And then maybe something will happen in your life and you'll go back on it, but it's not a lifelong commitment. And also there's a lot of different medications there's a lot of, of of trials and testing things out. Like it's it, the the doctor is not the expert. The doctor is there to help you figure out what will work best for you. And you are allowed to give feedback. You are allowed to say, these are side effects I don't want that are deal breakers for me. This is, you know, this is my priority. This is what I'm looking for. Giving feedback of if it's working, if it's not working recognizing that it's like a process and also a partnership with your psychiatrist or doctor to find what works for you instead of just like, well, I guess I'll take a hundred milligrams of Zoloft like my friend. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
2: I mean, I've got to tell you, it was really eye opening for me because I do think I had the sort of misconception that like, oh, you're going to go on an antidepressant. Well, that's it. That's for life. You're on one. And so it feels very like all or nothing and kind of intimidating, but it was, uh, a lot more, like you just said, the sort of trial and error, like figure out what works for you, just sort of like you would with like your skin care, you know, right. like, <laughs> like what I use for my skin might not work for the next person. And so it was just sort of a lighter and it felt more holistic, like we all deserve happiness, whatever path you need to take to get there.
1: Yeah, that really resonates. Yeah. And a lot of the pull yourself up by the bootstraps people drink a lot (laughs) so everyone has their
2: medication yeah yeah okay so allison final question before we let you go we've most of the questions have been from the perspective of the person struggling but let's say you have started dating someone and then they open up to you about this what do you think is the gold star response
0: thank you for telling me oh
2: Mm, lovely nice
0: Lovely. You know, like it—it—it it, it is a big, scary thing for somebody to reveal that stuff to you and to say, thank you so much for trusting me enough to share that. Oh, yeah. that's,
1: that's wonderful. That's, a that's what way. you want to hear.
2: Yes. I mean, the honesty in revealing that. I feel yeah. like too many people tend to focus on the information shared instead of the honesty it took to share right. it in the first place. True. And that applies to everything, honestly. Right. Yeah. And your
0: job isn't your job isn't to offer solutions or offer things they haven't tried or to fix the problem. Your job is to just say like, "I'm receiving this information, and I'm I feel really grateful that you felt safe enough to share that with me."
2: Uh, yeah, lovely answer, Allison. You were just such a delightful guest as I Thank knew you. you would be, and I think you're making the world a better place. I mm-hmm. genuinely no do. Doubt. Yeah.
0: Oh, thank you so much. This was so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you. That was great.
2: Bye. Oh, my God.
1: Oof, heavy stuff. That but, was but, heavy stuff. But uh, very elucidating.
2: Yeah. What?
1: Elucidating?
2: Elucidating?
1: Is that not a word?
2: <laughs> Illuminating?
1: Elucidating.
2: What does that mean?
1: Like clearing up, like clarifying oh, really? things in an educational fashion.
2: Oh, okay. No. I think you just educated me. I
1: really hope elucidating is a word. (laughs) Because if it's not, it slides out for me.
2: (laughs) I mean, it was elucidating. I I totally believe you. And illuminating. And illuminating. Illuminating is a better word. It may
1: be the only correct word of the two. I'm not 100% (laughs) sure anymore. You've made me very insecure.
2: (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. You could very well be right. But, you know, even though it is heavy stuff, she manages to make it yeah. feel lighter. I don't know she's how else very, to put it. She's very, very
1: comforting. Yeah. It's like comfort food for things. like It's like comfort food for very, very, very spicy <laughs> Indian food.
2: Yeah. Oh, so she's like a glass of milk when you're eating something spicy?
1: Yeah. She no, no, no. It's it. like if you take food that ordinarily might really cause problems <laughs> and somehow turn it comforting. <laughs> That's what she is. No, nah, not perfect, but you get what I mean. No,
2: I I get what you mean. I mean, this has just been really educational for me. It's one of those topics that you think you have an idea, yeah, but then you read a book about it, and you're like, oh, this is more complicated.
1: But a lot of the stuff you need a guidebook. You know, yeah. you're on the inside. You need the outside perspective to really. You could do it on the inside, yeah, but you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna flounder a little bit. The
2: the proof is in the pudding when we polled our listeners. We got a lot of questions about
1: Everyone this. Everyone wants questions. Everyone's got questions about this. Yeah. Everyone.
2: Yeah. You know, and of course, as someone mentioned in a comment, I just want to clarify that, of course, anxiety, OCD, and depression are all different conditions. Yeah. But I do think a lot of her guidelines sort of
1: uh, do apply across the board. I think that this this advice, that the core advice here is mm-hmm. can apply to many things in a yeah. relationship. It's just like put it on the table.
2: Well, it really does. I mean, not to sound trite, but communication. Yeah,
1: it really just comes down to communication. How many things
2: come back to communication? Yeah. And, you know, one of the questions we asked was, do you need to have your ducks in a row mentally to then have a relationship? And she's like, not necessarily. Like, you could be halfway there.
1: Who has their ducks fully in a row?
2: True. But think about how much easier or more naturally to you communicating your needs and, and what would help you, what could support you would come to you. Wait, oh my God, I lost Uh-oh, myself in the over. grammar of the sentence.
1: I saw that coming. <laughs> I saw you were like driving around like a really <laughs> narrow cliff and your front wheel went off and you're like, I can I do this. Clinging, and then your back clinging. wheel went off and you're like, no, you're
2: lot. Anyway, think about how much easier it would come to you to yeah. communicate that stuff if you had already started doing the work. She said in the book, one of the therapists she interviewed said that one in five people will be diagnosed with a mental disorder in their lifetime. And that's just the people who are getting diagnosed. Well, that's like
1: saying one in five people get COVID.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like how many people are getting PCR tests to the point where like the government even knows that they tested positive. Totally. Yes. So I don't know. It got me thinking how so many of us, I know Like I'm not diagnosed, but I know I have social anxiety. That's just something I'm aware of and something we've had to navigate in our relationship. But Mm -hmm. I also feel like you have... I have all
1: sorts of problems. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you don't have to tell me.
2: Yeah, it's just... uh, I really love how she's such an advocate for this. Like She's so vocal about it because it does normalize it. And a huge part of this is normalizing it. Yeah. The more normalized it becomes and the more we realize that so many people have varying degrees of
1: and more now let's let's be honest more now than ever and it's probably going to keep getting more
2: yeah well especially too as it becomes more normalized and people yeah. feel less shame less
1: shame mm-hmm. shame shame very powerful
2: i feel like so many of our episodes come back to shame
1: we, we embrace a lot of shame don't know why. i think shame is good i think people should have more shame
2: well, I feel like people should have more shame in some ways, but not in other ways. Like, shame is not a helpful emotion.
1: I feel like misery loves company. I want everyone to have shame. <laughs> I don't want to be alone in this.
2: Yeah. Well, imagine if you have OCD, how not alone you want to feel.
1: Yeah. True.
2: Yeah. I do think you might. Have OCD? With the germs, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of she talks about that. Contamination OCD. What do you
1: think I might have OCD? <laughs> <laughs> thank, thank you. Great giver of wisdom. Okay. <laughs> it's like, OCD has been in my family for like 300 years. Okay.
2: <laughs> I think then we can wrap there. What yep. a lovely guest she was. She was great. So, again, it's Overthinking About You by Miss Allison Raskin. It's really great. Mm-hmm. It's very conversational, feels like a conversation with a friend, but also very educational. It's lovely to get that combination.
1: Can you make that into one word? What? Educational and um, conversational. conversational? Educational.
2: Converdu... Confer-
1: wait. No. <laughs> You're going down the wrong road.
2: Eduversational.
1: Conjugational. <laughs> Conjugational or educational. I think those. Are Why the only- are
2: you so much better at that than me?
1: That's a great question. It's the only thing I've been good at today. It's my one achievement. That's
2: not true. You were good at eating the Greek salad I made you for lunch. I
1: was really good at that. Thank you for noticing.
2: You're welcome. If you enjoyed what you heard today, you know what we will ask of you, and that is to like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, follow us on Instagram, and...
1: Tell your friends. And TikTok. (laughs) And tell TikTok. As well,
2: (laughs) and tell your friends, and generally do all the things that you would do to support a podcast that you enjoy. Yeah, and that teaches you stuff. Yeah, and then takes your questions and gets them answered. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of value
1: here. I mean, I'd like to think.
2: I'd like to think so. Yeah, it's free content. I mean, we try free content. We try. try. Yeah, Yeah. we do try. Okay, and that's a wrap. That is (laughs) after we're done patting ourselves (laughs) on the back. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time on Dear Shandy. Bye.